0: Welcome everyone to the Inquisitive Introvert Podcast. I'm so excited about this episode. I have been planning for this for a while, and I'm joined today by Sarah Scott, who is National Water Collective, and we will be talking about everything Flint today. So, uh, Sarah, I just wanted to honestly thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with me. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm. Thank you for
1: the opportunity to talk with you about a very important topic. You know, something that has been a passion of mine for more than four years now, and I think it's important to keep the conversation going about this
0: community. And, Sarah, I just want to to ask, well, I know it's been, I think, six years since Flint, and long story short, they still haven't really gotten that situation together. But before we talk about the solutions, if possible, can you just let us know exactly how Flint got their water contaminated and why it's taking so long for them to get clean water?
1: Yeah, so in 2014, it was made public on April 25th that it was a public, they were going through a public health crisis. But I would say some weeks before, there was a switch that was made, and probably even a month before, so there was a switch that was made, and basically they switched from the Great Lakes, their water source from the Great Lakes to the Flint River. And the Flint River, everyone knows in Flint that The Flint River, it's a site that's full of pollutants. You know, GM and other manufacturing companies have dumped car pollutants, car parts. There's even been dead bodies and feces and all kinds of things in that water. And what the problem was after the switch is that they didn't treat the water. So imagine sending dirty water through your faucet and drinking the water or cooking with that water after not being treated. So that's the same thing that happened in Flint, uh, except it was sent through the entire city. And so what ended up happening was after the water was sent, the acidic level was so high that it started to corrode the pipes, which then began to leach lead and other contaminants in the water, which caused people to get sick, some people to die, which is very unfortunate. And so that's, Pretty much
0: in a nutshell, what happened. And Sarah, this might be a silly question, but I have to ask, why did they check when the water was over into a new new system? Why was that sort of left? Has anyone ever gotten any answers for that?
1: So that's the question, because it's like, even if you're not a a scientist or you're not a professional in that area, it's just like common sense that you would treat water that's bad, that even looks like the way it looks, before you send it through. And so there are some people that say it was an intentional act to make people sick and even possibly kill people off. That is what people have been talking about, many of the residents in the community. Whatever it was, it was a major mistake that has caused people their lives, their livelihood, the value of homes and businesses that have been depreciated in the community. And Flint, like you said, more than six years in Flint is still, you know, just has no clean water. In fact, they're using bottled water to clean, cook, bathe, and drink, which is a major problem. And after being there for some time and working in the community, Flint is like my family. It's like my home, my second home. And it's very hurtful to see. As a matter of fact, I spoke with a resident that has been all over the news. She's met celebrities and everything. And this woman is still going through a struggle in her life, she's Social Security, has, she's suffered from two miscarriages where she lost four babies. She had twins both times and she lost them both. She has nothing. And she's barely making it with trying to get bottled water. She spends about $50 a month, but sometimes she doesn't even have that money because she lives off a, a single parent income. Like I said, she's receiving Social Security. So she all that money, she's got to take care of her basic needs besides water, and now having to purchase bottled water and it's been tough for her. So she said this so sometimes she has to ask her, her, her friends and, and neighbors to get water to ensure that her family gets clean water. So it's just, I mean, it's a sad situation that's happening in Flint and they need some sort of remedy. They really need a resolve for this, this problem because it's gone on way too long. And it's like, they could have fixed this problem years ago. Because over a billion dollars has gone into the community of Flint. If you think about that, it only takes about maybe I would say a hundred million dollars roughly with all of the pipe replacements and homes and businesses, the the POE filtration systems installed in the community. It would be about a hundred million for 24,000 plus homes. A billion dollars has gone into the Flint. So think about that. Are they really trying to solve the problem, or do they just want people to be dependent on them so they can control them? And, you know, after a while, when you think about it, for six years, this community is tired. On top of being sick, and 40% of the population are living below the poverty lines, I mean, this is struggle on top of struggle on top of struggle, and then COVID came into yeah. play. And so that, they're not, that takes them back. That actually slow down a lot of things in that community. And so they're hurting. And it's a community full of black and brown people that are struggling. Yes, there are some successful black people and brown people in Flint. But 40% of the people that live there are, are living below the poverty line. So it's a big concern of mine. And, in fact, I was just in a call with Hill uh, with an Instagram live. And we, we talked about it as well. So it's fresh in my mind. There's some points that he talked about, and I just was like, wow, you know, I forgot about that part, because there's just so much to this story. (laughs) And you really have to dig deep and talk with the residents and, and be on the ground to understand, because a lot of the stuff that they put in the media, the mainstream media, is just not accurate. It's not accurate at all. And then after, in fact, after speaking with the woman I spoke with from Flint, she's like, oh, well, that's not true, because this is, and I'm just like, wow, you just... You have to speak with the people in the community because stuff that's in the media is not really, like, illustrating, like, what's really happening in that community. So I feel for them, and that's how we continue to work hard to provide clean water to the community.
0: And Sarah, I'm so happy that you mentioned that because I have been on this thing about, you know, just been thinking to myself, like, the media has been, you know, really falling into the trap of spreading uh, misinformation, disinformation, and not really actually doing journalism. And we're suffering, I think, as a community for that. So when you were on the ground or speaking to people within Flint, what are they saying that the media is misrepresenting or just ignoring that the local residents are talking about?
1: That everything is okay, that people can drink the water again, (laughs) because that's not the case. (laughs) I mean, there's been trust that has been lost in that community. They've had companies and individuals and organizations come in to say, hey, you know, we're going to give you this filtration system. It's going to work. We're going to give you this point of um, use, which is for the tap to you, and it's going to work. What ended up happening is people are getting sick because they're not changing out the filters as regularly as they should. And they're not being fully informed about what's in the water. In fact, there's been several boiled alert advisories. But if anyone knows, like, science, or if you know about, what can intensify metals is heat. Mm-hmm. So why would you boil water? Because <laughs> that will intensify the metal and make it worse. So right. there are kids that are, you know, suffering from epileptic seizures and memory loss and ADHD. I mean, it's just so many things that are happening, but yeah, it's just misinformation across the board. Um, in fact, there was a time where, the state and local government, I don't remember which level, but they were sending water to Flint on a regular basis. And they had these water pods and that actually had to go away when I think Snyder, he ended it because he said, we well, drink it. But just because the water is clear doesn't mean that it's okay. Because right. a lot of, if you know, lead, lead is odorless and it is colorless. So you won't know unless you actually tested the water you know, that it was contaminated. Even with the tetrachloride, it's a long word chemical that they use in the water to treat it, that's poisonous as well. It's causing cancer. People are not talking about that. People are not talking about, and what the media also put out is that people are dying of pneumonia. But pneumonia is associated with Legionnaires' disease. Like in the historic part of the community, that's where a lot of people were dying of pneumonia. But it was actually legionnaires. They were inhaling it through the mist in the showers, through their heaters. It just and they were just calling. They were saying that they died of pneumonia, but it wasn't pneumonia. It was actually legionnaires, and they didn't do the research on that. So it's just like so many things that the media is not telling the full story about. But I'm thankful that actually News Hour actually did this study. And they were really thorough with it. And they explained it. In fact, when COVID hit, and Hill talked about it, but when COVID hit, 60 Minutes, it was the doctor that actually exposed this thing, Mona, Tisha. She actually was on there talking about how the letters have impacted the kids. 90% or 80%, a very high number, has affected the kids to where they're now having mental issues. A lot, they tested us, and 90% of them are having mental issues. That story came out the same time that COVID came out, and so it was actually kind of brushed under the rug. So people didn't really get to hear that story, but it was like almost the full truth about what's really happening in Flint with the kids. But there's, like I said, there's so many moving parts, and the media is not doing a good job in covering every bit of it.
0: Oh, man, it just, like, it irks me so much. You know, kids, for their lives to honestly, you know, just be impacted for the rest of their lives with, you know, mental disabilities and delays is just, I can't even imagine. It's like, I'm generational. Sorry. I'm so generational, it's,
1: exactly. It's, it's generational <laughs> because you don't know, like, lead affects over time. So the kids were affected when they were young. It creates developmental issues uh with their brain, with their bones, and it causes all those other things like memory loss and, you know, it affects and what happens with lead is that it may show up in the blood for 28 days or so. But then after 28 days, lead goes into your body and it affects the organs. So it can attack your organ in so many ways. So your, your reproductive system, your heart, your kidneys, and even your hormones, just so many things. So if you can imagine, you know, the woman I spoke with, her 19-year-old daughter had a miscarriage. Because she drank the water, but they're not trying to associate it with that, you know, with the Flint water crisis and trying to say it was her body. But I'm just telling you, there's so many issues that are happening. And as a nonprofit, I have my own thoughts about it. So many things I want to say, but I can't really say it. But, like, I'm just telling you, they're not sharing the full story. So what we do is just pretty much show articles. Proven articles that we feel that really tell the full story so that people can learn about it. And then we get the perspective of the residents that are living there so they can share more of what's happening in the community. But it's a troubling time. And in fact, some people don't even want to talk about it anymore. And one of the guys that we had on our Zoom webinar, because we have a Zoom webinar every Sunday at 5 p.m. ESP until it dies down. And we're hoping that it'll just continue to blow up. But... He started this, this organization called Veterans of Now. His name is George Grundy. He was one of the first organizations that we worked in with Flint, but he actually pushed that whole Flint water crisis aside because he was, he was really affected by the crisis to where he's now receiving a hundred percent like disability from the military because of the Flint water crisis. He was at 70 something percent before the crisis and now he's at a full hundred percent because when he got on the call, it actually was an eye opener for her, for him because he he didn't want to even get involved with the, with the lawsuit or anything. And after the call, he ended up signing up for the lawsuit and then sharing with his network, yo, like, I know we may be mad about this thing, this is what he said, but we really have to, for the principle of, of it all, we really have to stand up for what is ours and what is right. Like I said, there are people that don't even want to talk about it anymore because they're tired. And and they're just trying to live their daily life. Yeah. It's a lot. It's stressful. It's <laughs> Incredibly stressful. stressful. It's stressful. Yeah. It's, it's rough, but you know, they're resilient. I would say Flint folks are resilient. It's a great thing, but they need a remedy and they need to
0: be compensated for their harm. And I'm so happy you brought that up Sarah. I wanted to know like what sort of lawsuits and compensation are these people getting? And, What's the status of that, and, and is anything really coming to fruition when it comes to that?
1: So, based on what I've heard and did some research on, they're they're actually in the fourth quarter, pretty much, of this case. So, it can close at any time. Um, it's been, you know, six years, so it's past the statute of limitations, but the judge, for some reason, wants to keep it open. But, like I said, they can close it at any time. And I would say about maybe 20 to 30% of the Flint residents of a hundred thousand people have only signed up. And that's either the class action or the mass tort. but that's a very, very small number because the more people in a normal case, the more people that are a part of a lawsuit, the more money will come out of it. And that's why we're hosting these zoom webinars to let people know, Hey, you guys, this can close at any time and you don't want to miss out on this. In fact, if they lowball you and give you a small amount of money for your harm, Right now, who knows? It's in the fourth quarter though, and people haven't gotten compensated yet. On the criminal side, no one has gone to jail. No one in fact they let people off. They opened up a new case and they're still working on that case to try to incriminate, you know, the emergency manager or whoever they're trying to incriminate, but no one has really been held responsible or accountable for what's happened in Flint. Not Rick Snyder, which is the governor not anyone and flint residents are still left pretty much high and dry will they get support from other organizations that come in every now and then but it's not as consistent as it used to be you know celebrities have left organizations have left and pretty much flint residents they're just left to just deal with it so have they gotten paid no still in the works but there are two different lawsuits. There's a class action and there is a mass tort. So the, the class action is more for a group and the mass tort is more for an individual. And we always recommend that people do their research on both to understand what they should get involved in. But if anything, they should get involved in one or the other based on their needs. Uh, the difference is that just the class action is more, like I said, for the group, and the mass tort is more for the individual that has been affected. So based on your own situation, you'll get paid off of that. And it has to be proven. You have to provide this information to the the law firm that you're working with on both sides. But it's imperative that some residents sign up. And so that's why, like I said, we're hosting the Zoom webinar to educate because the other thing we're talking about are real solutions. Like, how can we galvanize people to work on this? And, you know, we can no longer wait on the government and other federal entities to support Flint, it's got to be a grassroots effort so that we can get them remedy sooner than later because, I mean, six years, I was there for three weeks and it was a lot. You know what I mean? And I'm like, <laughs> it's not pain. have especially when you're a woman in, on your menstrual cycle. I yeah. mean, just think about all of that. Yeah. You know, it's just a lot going on. And so we're praying that the residents get, what they deserve, but just to give you an example of why residents should really sign up the the, the Larry Nasser case um there were thirty two women they were molested and abused by Larry Nasser. There was a five hundred million dollars settlement the thirty two women got four hundred and twenty five million dollars, and seventy five thousand was left for you know future Issues. Hmm. But that's for 32 women. There was a number on the table of only 600 million for Flint residents. That's 100,000 residents. Look at it. The reason why they were able to get that is because 90% of the women stood up and they signed up. So it's got to be the same thing in Flint. Even if they had 60 to 70%, that's better than 30% where they're at right now.
0: Right. And Sarah, I know you mentioned this, and I think we live into such a celebrity-driven culture, which sometimes can be good and bad, <laughs> but Hill yeah. Harper, lawyer, activist, this all-around brilliant guy. How did he stick around? How was he even introduced <laughs> to this uh, issue?
1: I mean, Well, he got introduced by Jesse Williams, and I just actually remembered the celebrities that he that introduced him, but it was Jesse Williams and... Ryan Kugler, before he was Ryan Kugler's of Black Panther, <laughs> but he was invited to that. And this brother, it's so funny, it's like I'm telling his story, but because he just told it on Instagram Live, but basically, a uh, brother from Flint was like, yo, like a lot of celebrities come in, you know, and they leave, they only take a photo op and then they're gone. You know, I love your book. I love what you're doing. I need you to stay. I need you to be here for us because we need help. And so that stuck with him. And then I reached out to him almost three years ago and was like, yo, like, Hill, I see you're doing work. We need to work together. And then, long story short, here we are three years later in about four or five events after we've met. And I've just been pushing him. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, Hill, like, I'll text him a lot or we'll talk. In fact, we talked yesterday and like to just let him know, first of all, to let him know his power and it, that his, his power as a celebrity that really cares and is known to care for, you know, these sorts of issues. He's a real dude that I'd almost forget. And I tell him all the time that I forget that he does what he does because we talk on a level that is like, you know, I'm strictly about let's get this thing for Flint, let's get it done. And I always forget his platform that he has, but I let him realize and I show him he sees it from what he's doing that he has power and a platform to make a change and so that's what keeps him there. he also mentioned on the Instagram live is that he feels like he has family there now so for him it's bigger than just doing okay I'm an activist no I have people in front of my family I love the people there you know what I mean and that's how I feel it's like I have family there now that I've like almost promised to uh, make a commitment to say no with all that I'm given, with all that I have, and with all the resources that I have, I'm going to make sure that, you know, we change the narrative in Flint. And what we talked about last time is flipping the script from poison to promise, because there are a lot of great opportunities that have come out of the Flint water crisis. Don't get it twisted, but we've got to channel those opportunities into real solutions that can be used. And then creating this destination place where flint is that go-to place for water innovation it would only make sense because they're the extreme case and if we can find a solution for flint we can replicate the solution across america because don't get it twisted flint is not the only one going through a water crisis there is a right across america water infrastructure is antiquated and so We've got issues. We've got pipes that are corroded, that are bad. The main infrastructure. And one of the a billionaire that I used to work with, uh, he's in water. He told me 80% of the disease that people have come from the water we drink. 80%. So cancer, diabetes, and other issues, other diseases come from the water we drink. And it's important, you know, I focus a lot and we focus a lot on flint. But we're going to be expanding and really talking about the nationwide crisis that we have because people need to understand they have to, like Martin Luther King said, we're all tied together by single government of mutual destiny. That's real because although we may not know it, we are all going through a water crisis. But if we can find a solution in Flint, Michigan, that's why we're focusing so much on Flint because it's like it's the way extremes face if we can find the solution, we can then customize and replicate other sol- solutions we have across America. And we're working with, like, some of the top scientists and engineers in the proven technology, patented proven technology. We have access now to so many great resources, and even there's a water lab in Flint, one of my brother's, I call my brother now, but he has a water lab he <laughs> just opened up. There's just so many great things that are happening. And we got to find a solution in Flint so that we can then help other communities. This It's happening in Newark. It's happening in Baltimore, Milwaukee. It's happening in the, um you know, I don't talk about it a lot, and I should be talking about it more. But in the uh, Native lands, it's happening all around. But nobody's really talking about it because they're not being educated. And that's why with National Clean Water Collective, we want to educate folks about what's happening. And we do it in innovative ways. Like right now, we found that especially with black and brown people, we're not usually trying to get involved in this type of stuff. We're more involved in music and entertainment and stuff. And not to say we're not science people or math people, but the bulk of the black and brown community, especially young folks, they're into music and, you know, other things. But like not really water. It's not anything really environmental. It's a new thing that a lot of activists, especially black and brown activists that are getting involved, but not to say that we didn't start the environmental justice movement because we did, but what I'm saying is it's the focus. We need to redirect our focus and be working on these these issues because they, they affect us most. They're happening in our communities most, and so to bring in our young folk and bring in Black and brown people, we want to do sort of creative campaigns to bring folks on. So we have this Art for Flint, and it basically draws in artists and have them create like a themed out piece that can actually be silent auctioned off so that we can raise uh, funding for Flint. We also did like this rap, it was called Four Bars for Flint, and we're going to get back into that as well, where artists, performing artists, could actually develop a rap or a poem, and talk about Flint and the water issue. But we we use innovative strategy and campaigns that we can bring all people from all walks of life involved
0: and bring them on board. And, Sarah, I know you talked about it. I know you have, like, limited time. Hard to get to those solutions because I know you're a super busy lady. I know with the the bottled water, that's a temporary solution. And then I know that you mentioned that you guys want to work towards long-term solutions, which is what I'm super interested in. And so what sort of technology is being developed now to help people measure the lead in their homes if they're still using sort of the water from, from their homes?
1: So I'm going to go back really quick. I'm going to digress because you mentioned bottled water. Now, we are focused on using box water, which is more of a sustainable solution. Mm -hmm. So box water is actually developed by a company called, um, the one that we're using is by a company called WS Darley. They're a private organization. um, And one of our partners is a marketing director over there. And basically we use this water. It was actually used for the the Army Corps of Engineers. They use it for like um, emergency situations in Puerto Rico and different places in Africa. And we think it's a better solution because it's sustainable. It's a cardboard box called the safe water box. And inside, it has recyclable plastic that is actually injected with this uh, purified water. So, the, actually, we sent about, just this past month, we sent about 20,000 gallons of water over to Flint. And that's the short-term solution. The long-term solution is point-of-entry filtration. So, there's a difference. There's point-of-use, which is at the tap, and there's point-of-entry. Now, for redundancy, point-of-use is great but the point of use is not the end all because there are kinks in that because bacteria can grow into it. There could be metal buildup in it because people are not accustomed to changing out filters. They could forget. And what ends up happening is they get sick from not changing the filter out. So with the point of entry, it actually connects from the inlet of the building and it goes throughout the building, whether it's a business or home. And it connects from the inlet, and it allows people to go back to a normal way of life so they can actually bathe in the water. They can wash their clothes in clean water. They can drink. They can cook with clean water. All of these things that we would normally do here in like New York or wherever, they can do that. They would be able to do that in Flint. And so this technology, um, the point of entry technology, is actually in about 80 plus homes in Flint and even some businesses. And we just installed in a community center in a church. Our goal is to implement about more, but we'll go to do it across the city. But for this particular project, we have five projects. We killed one and now we have four more. But the point of entry is the best deal. This particular technology that we're working with is improved by the MBEQ and to take out 99% of toxins in the water. So that's everything from bacteria to lead, copper, even PFAS, because mm-hmm. that's a new thing that's happening PFAS and PFOAs. This technology was actually developed about 10 years ago to take out arsenic because it also takes out arsenic. And the company is at, right outside of Flint. It's in Holly, Michigan. And the gentleman that developed it, he heard about the Flint water crisis and he wanted to help him, so that's how he got involved. But then a bit, when it became too political, he pulled away. So we ended up reaching out to him and saying, hey, you know, we love what your product does. And actually, Kevin, our partner, he had a good relationship with him so, because he's in the water. So we ended up working with that technology. And I'm going to tell you, it, based on the Flint situation, it's the best thing because what it does is it cleans itself out every single day as a flushing mechanism. It's programmed to flush itself every single day so that no bacteria, there's no reservoir of bacteria that can grow that will end up, you know, can cause lesionaires and all those, all those kinds of things. And the fact that it flushes itself every single day, it's like self-maintenance filter. And that means that you don't have to change the filter out every single month or every other month, or you have an annual checkup and it's proven flawless. Like we did some lab, we got some lab results back and it's like googly eyes. So nothing, has nothing in it. It's that powerful and it can be customized. For each situation, that's the greatest thing about that particular technology, um, the fact that, you know, every situation is different than in Newark and then in, you know, other places. So we're happy about that. And it's a competitively priced technology. And if we get the funding for it, we can install this all across Lynn.
0: Wow. And Sarah, I'm so happy you mentioned that because that was going to be one of my final questions. How can people help immediately? Because I know I get frustrated when I see things like Flint or, you know, whatever other atrocities that this country is sort of inflicting upon us, that it it takes so long. Like, is it money? Is it media attention? Like, what is the immediate need that we can do to help you guys out right now? I mean... There's so many things, that
1: definitely building awareness, helping us build awareness. Because, like I said, people think that this crisis is over. They don't even know that it's still happening. So building awareness, and that's why the Zoom calls are important because, you know, it's a major platform. Hill has over 300 and some odd thousand followers. So if we had that amount of people listening in and tuning in, they'd find out that, hey, first off, it's not just happening in Flint. It's happening across the nation. But how can we help Flint? You know, we can help Flint by building awareness. We can help Flint by donating. We have a GoFundMe, .gofundme www.gofundme.com, COVID relief for Flint, and that's the number four Flint. There's the art campaign I was telling you about. It's called Art for the number four Flint. If you're an artist, you can donate a piece of art. We actually feature an artist a week. And um, we're going to be doing a silent auction actually at the end of this month, the first one, because we decided that we were going to extend this and have it go on until it goes on, because it's a great way to raise money. And if people want to volunteer, like, you know, when we're able to get back to a normal way of life and, well, a somewhat normal way of life, so where we can go and host events in Flint, people can help on the ground. Even be taught in classes, like, if you're a teacher, and you're in science or environmental justice or whatever it is, there's environmental studies, if you want to host a class on it, Hill or myself or other people that are focused on this project can come in and talk about it, you know what I mean? And, but even developing curriculum so that we can educate kids. You know, one of the things that I hosted before and I want to continue doing it is hosting a panel discussion with youth because those are our future leaders and they need to be educated on this stuff. So, But yeah, I think education is key spreading awareness and donating your time and money.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciated it. I love your passion. If people want to get in contact with you, where should they follow you on social media? And thank you so much for the opportunity. They can follow us on
1: at national clean water collective and that's I V E on Facebook and on Instagram and then at USA clean water on Twitter we're passionate about this stuff. Like I spend so many hours just, in fact, I was just talking with Kevin and we're always thinking about a new plan of action and we're working with people from all over around the world. In fact, we're working with a group out of China, you know, on some things. And so we're always looking to collaborate with people, hence the collective part of organization. And so if you're a lawyer, if you're a doctor, if you're a student, because we we love to work with students. So however you feel you can help, we encourage you to share. And you can reach out to my email at info at nationalcleanwater.org. You can email me at any time. You can follow our page via Facebook. You go to Hill Harper's page, uh, just Hill Harper. But, yeah, we encourage
0: people to get involved. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Yes. I will definitely continue to spread the word because I believe so passionately about this. So thank you again for all your work and let's stay in touch. Yes, well, I thank you so much for your continued support. You funded us with
1: you know, what you could contribute and we're very thankful for it and look forward to building a, a lasting business relationship. So thanks again for the opportunity.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate it.